Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you once again for joining us today on the program and for continuing to follow us as we continue to unpack this uh, powerful uh, book of Revelation. And, and it is almost inexhaustible. Those of you who have been following us have followed us probably. We've, we've done probably 60 programs or better dealing with the book of Revelation. Uh, you can go back, by the way, and watch them on uh, our YouTube feed simply by going to our website. And our website is there on the screen. Uh, on our website, there is a, on the opening page, a, a picture of this particular TV set. If you click that, it'll take you to our YouTube page, and you can go back and watch everything we have aired to date. They are archived there for your viewing pleasure so that you can go back at any time you want to and kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, watch them to be brought up to date. Uh, I'm telling you, I think they are powerful tools to use in a Wednesday night service, to pull them down on your YouTube feed, to use in uh, cell groups, home groups, uh, and uh, use them as teaching tools uh, to teach this powerful book of Revelation. It, you don't have to agree. You know, one of the things that I have found in uh, everything that I've taught is that you don't necessarily have to agree with everything uh, exactly like everybody sees it. As a matter of fact, the book of, of Revelation, I think, by and large, it's probably one of the most difficult books to understand. And so there are things that, you know, I have tweaked and changed my mind over the years and will continue to do so. So all we're trying to do is provoke some thoughts, some dialogue. We're not trying to uh, be in opposition to anybody else, fight anything else. We just believe that there are people who have an ear to hear what we're saying and uh, what God has shared with us. We want to pass on to you and to let you uh, make the decision whether or not you believe it. Uh, so, uh, Thank you for watching. Let me just say this as well, too. We really are very, uh, not very, let me just say this. We're not very good at uh, raising funds or building a partner base. It's probably one of the least things I like to do is to ask for support or to ask for financial, uh, you know, uh, monetary things to help us. But without you, it's impossible to, to preach the gospel on this level. So uh, we, we are not trying to manipulate you out of anything, but we believe that God is able to lay on your heart, lead you by the Spirit, to sow what you purpose in your heart to give to uh, the ministry to help support the gospel of grace. I believe there are many of you that have sat out there and watched us for months, and you're waiting on someone else to do it, and uh, we, uh, it just doesn't happen. And so we believe we have the opportunity of a lifetime to be able to come on the air like we are, for God to have provided even to this level for us to say the things that we are, are saying. Uh, and you know that if you follow our ministry, not many are saying what we're saying, uh, that we do need your support. And if you believe this, get behind it and support it because we have the opportunity in this generation to turn the mindset and to turn things around. I'm willing to do it, but I need your help to do it. And so that's all we know how to say to you. So consider calling the number on the screen or going to our website and uh, or writing us and simply committing to becoming a partner with us for this coming new year or whatever you can commit to doing. Uh, no matter how small or how great it is, we definitely appreciate it and we need your help to do it. And I believe the nations of the earth will be impacted by the gospel of the kingdom. Enough said about that. We do appreciate it. We need you. God bless you. Uh, seven of uh, Revelation is where I want to go back to. We dealt with this a little bit last weekend, and I want to kind of uh, 
uh, kind of follow a little bit again uh, on, on this a little bit. Uh, the seventh chapter of Revelation, let me read it for you. It says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor in any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, and hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees. Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. And I heard the number of them that were sealed, which were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And of the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed, 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar. Uh, were sealed 12,000. The tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. The tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. And after this I looked in low great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and tongues and people, and stood before the throne and before uh, the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and under the Lamb. As the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said, These are they which have come out of great tribulation, have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. When he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. Now, I, 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 want, to, uh, I want to deal with, uh, I want to deal with a, a little bit of understanding, I think, uh, concerning uh, these people again who are these sealed. You know, what we shared with you in the last program was in Ephesians 1, the scripture says, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So what I submit to you is that this 144,000 of these that are sealed is not as much a literal number. In other words, there are all kinds of symbolic things in a book that is highly symbolic so that uh, I don't believe it's a literal number. And even if it is, that's really not the fight I'm after. What I'm after is the fact that they are multiples of 12, which to me speaks of the number of government. And uh, it also, if you go over and you measure the length and the breadth of the city of the book of Revelation, it measures 144,000. I believe it is cubits. It's a square and uh, there's a, in the 14th chapter of Revelation, a repeat of this same thing, 144,000 that were sealed uh, and they follow the lamb uh, wherever they go. And uh, um, they, they are a people who've been sealed, I believe, in their foreheads, not so much with a literal mark, but with the seal of the down payment of God. They are God's first fruit. They are God's earnest, if you will, uh, of creation. They are his first fruit people that uh, they, that when, uh, during the feast of, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 
first fruits, they would parade down the streets with a wave of sheath in their hand, and they would wave it before the Lord as declaring uh, that there is a harvest that is to follow. Now, when I look at this again, this 144,000 that were sealed, it starts with the tribe of Judah, which we dealt with just a little bit in our last program. That's not following. When you think about it starts with the tribe of Judah, that's unusual. Because if you are looking at the natural lineage of the children of Israel, especially throughout the Old Testament, it would always start with the tribe of Reuben, who was the firstborn. Now, in the New Covenant, the firstborn of this new creation species is not Reuben. Our Lord sprang out of Judah. It is evident, according to the book of Hebrews, our Lord sprang out of the tribe of Judah. So what this is saying to me is whether they are ethnically a Jew or a Gentile, uh, they are of this, this new, if you will, this new Israel of God that is a people that, I mean, it is so clear to me throughout the scripture uh, that in Romans, for instance, chapter two, it says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, whose circumcision is that of the heart, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, whose circumcision is in the heart, not of the flesh. I'm sorry, I probably quoted that wrongly. But the Jew is the believer. Now let me just, uh, let me read you just a few scriptures. This is from the Message Bible. Uh, chapter 8, book of Matthew, verse 10 through 12. It said, Jesus, taken aback, Jesus said, I have yet to come across this kind of simple trust in Israel. The very people who are supposed to know all about God and how he works. He said, this man is the vanguard of many outsiders who will soon be coming from all directions, streaming in from the east, pouring in from the west, sitting down at God's kingdom banquet alongside of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then those who grew up in the faith but had no faith will find themselves on the, on the out in the cold, outsiders to grace and wondering what happened. So what he's saying is that there's some that were outsiders that were about to become insiders and some insiders who were about to become outsiders. In other words, there's some Gentiles who were about to become some Jews and some Jews who were about to be cast out. I think it interesting that Jesus would look at uh, uh, the Jews and he would say to them, you are not Abraham's seed. You of your, are of your father, the devil, because if you were Abraham's seed, you would believe the things that I've said. Uh, here's another one, verse 13 of um, chapter 13 for, of St. Luke, verse 29 through 30. This is from the King James Bible. He said, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Luke 13, verse 28, And they shall come from the east and the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God and there shall be last which shall be first and there shall be first which shall be last. That to me is so powerfully clear that it's talking about those who had it first were the Jews and those who had it last were the Gentiles. But there's about to be a switch up. The, those that were last are about to become first and those which are first were about to become last. Uh, here, here's another one. Um, um, this is John 8, 44. It said, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh, he speaks 
a lie. He speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus is telling these natural Jews, you are not Abraham's seed, you of your father, the devil. And that there are going to be those who come in from the east and the west. And I, I believe that when you think about uh, Matthew 13, the burning of the wheat and the tares and are the, are the separation of the true seed of the kingdom, which are the children of faith, and the, the bastard wheat, which just looked like wheat until it grew together. But at the end of the age, the harvest, Matthew 13, the sower went forth to sow. He sowed some good seed. While men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares in the field. And he said, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest, he'll say to the angels who are the reapers, go out and gather my wheat into my barn, but take the tares and burn them with an unquenchable fire. I believe that Jesus is giving this parable because the harvest, he goes on to tell them, and the answer of this parable is that the harvest is the end of the world. King James says, every other translation says, the harvest is the end of the age. The age that it was the end of is not this age. It was the end of the age of Judaism. It was the end of the age of the law. It was the end of the age of the Mosaic system. And God was about to gather a harvest of true believers into his barn. He was about to literally burn the tares with an unquenchable fire where there would be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and they would be cast into outer darkness. That's not something that's in the future. That's something that happened to an apostate Israel uh, upon that particular time slot. Let me read you this from the Message Bible. This is from Galatians 3, verse 15. It says, Friends, let me give you an example from everyday affairs of the free life I'm talking about. Once a person's will has been ratified, in other words, his last will and testament has been ratified, no one else can annul it or add to it. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his descendants. And you'll observe that the scripture in the careful language of a legal document does not say to descendants, plural, referring to everybody, general, but to your descendant. It says the noun note is singular. I'm, I'm reading this from the Message Bible. The noun is singular to the, you, to not to your seed, but to your descendant, one seed, referring to Christ. This is the way I interpret this. A will earlier ratified by God is not annulled by an addendum attached 430 years later, thereby negating the promise of the will. No, this addendum with its instructions and regulations has nothing to do with the promised inheritance in the will. What is the point then of the law? The attached addendum. So he calls the law the attached addendum to the original will and testament, if you will. And he, t he, t he said, what then was the reason or the purpose then of the law, the attached addendum? It was a thoughtful addition to the original covenant promised to Abraham. And the purpose of the law was to keep a sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ, the descendant, came, inheriting the promises and distributing them to us. So the law was given to a sinful people as an addendum to the original promise of Abraham to keep a sinful people in the way of salvation until Christ, the descendant, came, who was the inheritor of the promise, and that would then distribute those promises to us. Obviously, he said, the law was not a firsthand encounter with God. It was arranged by angelic messengers through a middleman, Moses. 
But if there's a middleman, as there was at Sinai, then the people are not dealing directly with God, are they? But the original promise is a direct blessing of God received by faith. Now let me tell you that that first original promise and that first original inheritance and that first original blessing is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That promise that was made to Abraham found its fulfillment in Christ, who was the seed. Christ, who is the seed, then distributes to us the promise so that God was not talking to a natural people when he says, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. He was not talking to the natural seed of Abraham. He was talking to the seed which would be Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. Let me say it like this. So the promise is not to a, uh, a nation of people who are no closer to God now than they were 2,000 years ago. If you want to give away your inheritance, that's your prerogative. But what I want to say as clearly as I know how to say it today on the program is, you're the seed of Abraham, and God says, if you're a believer and you're a child of faith, you're in Christ, then you're that seed. And if you're that seed, then the ones God said, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you, is not the people living across the ocean. It is the children of faith. It always was the children of faith. It was never by natural descent. It was always to them uh, who are of the children of faith. It goes on to say in Romans 4, verse 16, it says, therefore it is of faith, that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law. Remember those that were under the law was a careful addendum to keep a sinful people in the way until the seed would come to whom the promise was made. And the seed that was to come to whom the promise was made was Christ. That promise was made to Christ. He was the inheritor of the promises of Abraham. And since you and I are in Christ, we are heirs. If you be Christ, then are you heirs according to the promise. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. You're an heir. If you want to give away your inheritance, once again, that is your prerogative. But I'm telling you, this is powerful stuff to me. When I see these people being sealed in the book of Revelation, uh, it is the seed that does not start with the tribe of Reuben, but the seed which starts with the tribe of Judah, of which our Lord sprang out of the seed to whom the promise was made. It says, goes on to say, therefore, it's a faith that might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Here's Romans 5, verse 2. It says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is not talking about the natural Israel. It is talking about the family of faith. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved for, through faith, and not, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Here's the message Bible from Romans verse 4, verse 16, or chapter 4, verse 16. It said, this is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in His way and then simply embracing Him and what He does. God's promises arrives as pure gifts. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. 
For Abraham is father of us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backwards. He is our faith father. I don't know how much clearer the scripture can get. And when you get to the latter part of Romans that talks about all Israel will be saved, by the time you get to that chapter, you ought to have read Romans 2, 3, 4, 5, and all through these scriptures who are telling you who the true Israel of God not only was, but is and always was, was the children of faith. I am not preaching a replacement theology. I am preaching a placement theology that the children of God and the true Israel of God and the true people of God were always, have always been the seed of faith, the people of faith. The law was added as an addendum and it kept the sinful people in a way until the seed to whom the promise was made came on the scene and that seed was Christ. And then he goes on to say that Abraham then was not our race father. He was our faith father. And these are not my words. These are the words of the scripture. Uh, the apostle Paul made that clear uh, when he said that uh, he, he, Abraham is the father of us all. He is not our racial father. That's reading the story backwards. He's our faith father. That's Romans 4 verse 16 in the message. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles, and with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city that had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The promised land, I wrote in my notes, is, is, is not a place, but it's a person. It is, according to Hebrews, the fourth chapter rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So even the promised land and the promise that God made to them is the rest in the finished, because he tells us in Hebrews 4 that he says that, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. For they to whom it was preached, did, first preached, did not enter in because of unbelief. They did not mix the word with faith. And so in Hebrews 4, he's talking about the children of Israel entering into their promised land. But in Hebrews chapter 4, he makes it clear that the promised land is not just a place, it's a people. Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. It goes on to say here uh, that uh, it says, For he looked for a city, Hebrews 11, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And then he goes on to say, verse uh, 15, And truly, if he had been mindful of the country from where he came out of, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared them for them a city. Now, in Hebrews 11, Abraham, one of the promises made to him was not only the land, but he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was looking for a city in Hebrews chapter 11, but in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, but you are come. You're not coming to, you are come to Mount Zion and under the city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels. And when you come, when you see what Abraham was looking for under the old covenant, he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, we have come to that. And the contrast in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he said, you did not come to blackness and darkness. You did not come to a God who says, stay away. You did not come to a God who said, if you touch the edge of the mountain, you'll be thrust through with the dark. But he, he's, he, in other words, you did not come to Mount Sinai. That's what that part of it was talking about. You did not come 
to a God who says, stay away. That's the God we seem to bring people to every week is the God of the old covenant. But he stops in the middle of that and he says, but you are come to Mount Zion. In contrast to what? In contrast to you did not come to Sinai. So old covenant was Sinai, new covenant was Zion. I'm telling you, and then he goes on to say, for you have come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of the living God. I submit to you, and we will get into this in greater detail as we get to the latter part of the book of Revelation, but the city of God in Revelation chapter 21 is not a place, it is a people built on a new covenant, a people who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, a people who in the midst of them, the Lamb is the light, a people who have a river that flows through it, uh, like the river that's in your belly, that out of it flows rivers of living water, that the city of God is simply the community of faith. It is the people of God who are believers. Who, uh, you know, Paul says, we are, uh, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. Uh, when you get into the book of Revelation chapter 21, he describes the city. He said, this is the bride, the lamb's wife. This is the tabernacle of God. I'm telling you in 70 AD, an old Jerusalem passed off of the scene and a new Jerusalem came on the scene, a new covenant people. And old Israel passed off of the scene, and God gave birth to the pure Israel of God, which was the children of faith. Uh, and an old heaven and an old earth passed away, and the Jewish mindset that symbolized their temple and their land, it passed off of the scene, and God gave birth to a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. I'm telling you that we are living in a day when we are the seed of Abraham and we are his people. Let me just, uh, it says, uh, chapter 3, book of Galatians, verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Verse 8 says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And these shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So the people of faith received this famous promise that in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed and I will bless them that bless you and bless, curse them that curse you. That promise was made to believers. And there are so many Old Testament shadows and pictures of this that it's impossible to exhaust it all. I'm simply trying to tell you that those that are sealed are the believers that received the words of Jesus and were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I trust that blesses you. We're just about out of time. I want you to take a moment, call the number on the screen. If you can sow a seed into the ministry today to help us, uh, there's somebody standing by to take your credit card, your debit card, or whatever, uh, however you want to do it, it's possible to do. Uh, but please don't sit on the sideline. Uh, get involved. Become part of a thing that's touching the nations of the earth. Uh, tell your friends about us. Be sure to tune in every week and watch us as we continue to unpack these things concerning the gospel. You're a great blessing to us. Thank you for watching us. God bless you. Until we meet you again, God bless. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.